Uh, we're going to be talking about electrification and transportation with Clean Energy Works Margarita Parra on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Joining us from the palatial Renew Missouri studios in Northern Columbia is our producer, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. Hey, how's it going, James? Well, it's going great. We've got a very exciting guest uh, on our podcast. We, I, met, I got the pleasure of meeting her last week. Uh, she works for our good friends at Clean Energy Works, uh, which is a group that we do a lot of uh, of, of, of kind of collaboration on with energy efficiency and coal plant closures. Now we want to talk a little bit about transportation. Transportation is something that we don't talk a lot about on this podcast because, um, well, our policy role on that's a little limited. We, we have encouraged and we have been involved with some PSE cases where we have encouraged the utility companies to invest in electrification of fleets of you know EV charging stations, um, but uh, with Clean Energy Works kind of doing some expansion into some very exciting um, policy areas, we have Margarita Para, uh, who is uh, let me look up her. I had her title here. She is the director of transportation and international programs for Clean Energy Works. Um, I, I don't always like to disclose where our, 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 our guests are, but where are you, Margarita? <laughs> well, hi, James, and hi, Philip. It's such a pleasure to be with you today, and I'm so happy to be your guest talking about transportation because it's very important also on climate policy. Um, but where I'm physically and where I'm from, because it's very interesting, both of them. I'm actually from Colombia, the country, <laughs> which yep. is a nice contrast, but you guys are in Colombia, but... Missouri. <laughs> we're and, we're um, Columbia with an uh, uh, U, like exactly. Columbia. <laughs> exactly. And people mix in the two, but I'm happy. It's only an honor to uh, discover <clears throat> navigator Christopher Columbus, who came to our <laughs> lands earlier. Um, so, but I'm not based in Colombia. I'm actually a US citizen who's been traveling the world. I'm a global citizen, I'll say, and I'm based in New Zealand for now. Yeah. Uh, because of the pandemic, we are camping here for a little bit. So I'm in South Island in Ototahi, uh, the land in Maori for Christchurch. Wow. You're in the future. Like, isn't it tomorrow there? <laughs> yes. Here is Friday, yeah. <laughs> the 24th of, uh, of June. Hopefully, hopefully the future looks better than today. Um, so with that out of the way, um, kind of like, so can you kind of, I mean, I don't know where we've actually had anybody from Clean Energy Works on our podcast. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what that group does and who that group is? Absolutely. No, and we're happy to be invited. Um, I mean, my colleagues will be jealous, but I'm the first one to be in this program. <laughs> I hope they are. I hope they're just, I hope they're, I hope they're just, I hope they're writing their letters in protest now. <laughs> so Clean Energy Works was funded by Homs Hamel. Um, Homs is working at the Department of Energy uh, with the Obama administration, trying to find solutions to afford clean energy. And then Homs decided to have their own uh, shop and their own nonprofit to continue advancing uh, this agenda. 
we work on finding solutions so that everybody enjoys the benefits of clean energy. And we do it not only on energy efficiency and buildings, and, but also on transport. And we do it because I think we want to decarbonize our economy, but we also want to ensure that clean energy technologies really impact everybody, everyone, and everybody can afford them. Mm-hmm. That's our main role. And we are both national and international. So we work in the US, I know in a state like Missouri, but right. we also work international. That's my program that I direct. We work in Colombia, my country. We have a little bit of work in Brazil and Mexico. Uh, we did a bit in Chile and Peru. And now we're also expanding to work in Asia, in India, wow. Indonesia, Vietnam, and a little bit in Africa. So we're a little bit ambitious of where we want to take our nonprofit work. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, because you're not a big organization. I mean, you're, you're, very, you're a very talented group of people. You're very accomplished, but you're not, you're no. not Sierra Club. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're, you're still relatively small. You're, you aren't, aren't you? Yeah. Right? We're a little bit ambitious, right, James? Uh, we're really small, but want to do big things. Um, yes, we're very small. So I think by today, we're about six people only. When I started three and a half years ago, I was number four. Wow. And we were all part-timers. And now we have, I think, about six people uh, full-time. So we're still very small. Yeah. So how we work, and this is very important so for people to understand how a small nonprofit uh, with this ambitious agenda work is that we work with partners like Renewal Missouri. That's we right. We are partnering in a network of organizations, in an ecosystem of organizations with people who really align with our goals. And we provide advisory technical assistance. We provide analysis, policy analysis, number crunching, as some people know it. Right. But really, we're just uh, targeted uh, advisory service so that we all advance this agenda. But you're right. And internationally, I work a lot with an institution called the World Resources Institute, and they have offices in all these countries that I just mentioned. So I work with those country offices to advance the joint agenda. I'm, I'm just, this is how we do it. I'm, I'm exhausted listening to you describe this, let alone doing it. <laughs> That's a lot of work for six people. That's right. But we're very energized by people on the field that are doing this as well. So I think we all, in the nonprofit world, we're used to multitasking and also having different hats. Yeah, uh, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, so you're so I mean, can I, we could probably talk a lot about the work that you're doing, you know, the expansion in Asia, the work you're doing in South America. Uh, but you know, because we're, we are in the United States, we are in Missouri. I, I want to talk a little bit about your transportation work because that's how we uh, started talking. Um, kind of what, you know, I know you were kind of talking about decarbonization and kind of talking about that as a goal. I mean, so when, when, you, when you talk about clean energy works, doing work in electrification, transportation, decarbonization, I mean, what is your like kind of big picture, 30,000 feet up in the air? What is it that you're doing to try to advance an agenda towards that, like, let's say in the United States? Yes, absolutely. And in the United States, actually a very important venue to work because we are one of the main countries contributing to uh, global greenhouse gas emissions from transportation. Um, So it's very important that we address that sector about 23% of all our emissions in the US are from our cars and our vehicles and our buses and trucks. 
and planes um, traveling. So we know we had to address that and we are supporting a transition towards uh, zero emissions mobility. We have some technologies that already provide that. Some are cost-effective, some are not. Uh, right now, we are really um, supporting the electrification of transportation with electric drive vehicles, because we know there are proven technologies that actually can reduce the emissions um, that we're talking about. So replacing gasoline and diesel engines. So right. we're supporting that, and we're supporting uh, the, pol the national policies that uh, both the Biden administration has put forward and some of the policies that some states themselves have put forward. So mm -hmm. for example, in California, we have a zero emission vehicle mandate. We also have a clean track advance rule that another states are now copying. And at the national level, I know the Biden administration is really uh, um, updating and advancing a new greenhouse gas emission rule for vehicles. Well, we call CAFE standards, uh, but they are just greenhouse gas emission rules. They're going to be more stringent uh, for vehicles, uh, for more uh, the newer models. So we're supporting those type of policies. And this is because it really matters in the US that we reduce our oil consumption to reduce those emissions. Um, and what we do specifically, uh, just to complement your question, is that we know that those vehicles and technologies are out there, but there's still barriers that we see for people to really go mainstream. I mean, for those vehicles to go mainstream, for those vehicles to be uh, the main choice for people. Right. So, yeah, and, and I, I wanna get to that in a moment. Um, I, I would like to, I guess, you know, cause I hear a lot of people complain, the Biden administration is not doing enough about climate, you know, not doing enough about pollution. I mean, how do you feel about how this current administration is doing as, as far as your work with trying to, you know, you know, electrify transportation. I mean, what's what's your what's your take if you feel comfortable in sharing it? Because you're you're kind of look like you're wishing I hadn't asked that question. Yes, because I'll say my take and my organization take. I'll say my take, Margarita. Okay. Okay. No, I do think that. Um, I mean, I'm, and I will say this because I'm actually a U.S. citizen, but I wasn't born in the U.S., as I mentioned. So I see more critically. I think the United States has a historical debt globally because we have we are one of the largest economy in the world. Not the largest, we know. We have China. <laughs> but right. U.S. has historically, along with Europe, contributed more towards greenhouse gas emissions. And I feel there is a historical debt the U.S. has. Uh, so I will say that I would always, as a global citizen, expect more of the U.S. I mean, that's just reality. Sure. As, a, as a U.S. citizen, I feel like now this administration is doing what they can. They always could do more. Sure. But I have to say, so far, what we have seen in the Infrastructure and Investments Jobs Act is unprecedented, James. We have uh, the, the biggest programs we've ever seen in charging infrastructure, $7 billion of the NEVI program, which is the new electrical infrastructure, I actually don't know the name, I should have been prepared for that, but the NEVI program is this new money that the federal government is providing for um, electric vehicle infrastructure, Yeah, $7 billion. Another $5 billion for electric and clean fuels uh, school buses, which is also unprecedented. Yes. yes. So yeah. I think by those standards, we're doing well, but we know it's never going to be enough, right? It never is. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I, yeah, and I think it's interesting because like you're talking about this, this money that's being kind of put together. We're going to see money that's going to come into, you know, deployment for technology, for infrastructure, for electric vehicle charging stations. 
Now, will this money be going, is the federal government going to be dispersing this to the states directly? Is this going to be going to school districts? I mean, how is this money going to get to the public? Good question, because there are different mechanisms that the federal government is employing to deploy this money. So the Navy program, and I remember the name, is the National (laughs) Infrastructure Program. Yes. (laughs) That program is going to be mostly distributed by the states. And every state has to have a plan of how they're going to invest that money. So that money will flow through the states. But the Clean School Bus Program, which is all that money for electric school buses and alternative uh, fuel school buses, that money, the $5 billion, is going to be mostly uh, distributed by the EPA at the federal level. So school districts in every region have to apply directly to the EPA. But for for infrastructure, uh, for public electric infrastructure for vehicles, the um, cities can apply it through the state. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and I mean, and, and in regards to, um, in regards to the, if the EPA is doing this, I mean, I think, you know, when you and I met, we didn't meet, I didn't go to New Zealand to meet with you, but when we had our modern kind of meeting, you said the EPA kind of had a targeted list of, of, of school districts for this. Yes. Well, I guess my, and I have a question about that. Like, how do they pick which school districts should be kind of, you know, like we're talking about the school bus electrification, which I think is very exciting because I can tell you the reason I think that is exciting because I'm a farm kid. I spent an hour on a bus to an hour on a bus back from school every day I was in school. And I spent a long time, a lot of those buses on a school bus. And so I, you know, cause I know how important that is to people in rural parts of the state. Um, I, I am interested in that. I mean, so how did the EPA yes. pick those schools? Do you know? And yes, I know. And I have to say, you know, the first reason why the United States and the government decided to prioritize the school buses is very important because it's the largest fleet of public transportation we have in the United States. I mean, ah. there are more school buses than transit buses. Like, it's like five times more. Um, and because really millions of kids like you <laughs> in Missouri yes. ride those buses. So it was, it's the priority of the administration to really have the highest impact with this infrastructure money. And that's what they chose uh, as school buses. Now, how they decided where the money should go. So I think you have heard something about that this administration is doing that I believe is also good, as you were asking me, which is the Justice 40 Initiative. Okay. So the Justice 40 Initiative is, is a commitment from the federal government to make sure that 40% of the funds and the benefits of the federal programs go to disadvantaged communities. And disadvantaged communities are being defined in many different ways, low-income communities, rural communities, environmental burden communities, communities who have suffered more the impacts of fossil fuel uh, pollution. And we know we have all of these communities across many states, uh, communities who have been uninvested or they haven't had enough investment on clean technologies. Mm -hmm. So if you combine the Justice 40 initiative and the Clean School Bus Program, what you get and what the EPA is proposing is to spend 40% of the funds going to our highest high need school districts and they define those by having 20% of more of students living in poverty. Oh, also okay. by prioritizing rural schools, which I know many in many states right. are really 
schools were, as you were saying, far away from you where you are living. And this school serving students that are more scattered. And also prioritizing tribal school districts, which is also oh, a new thing. Right, right. Mm -hmm. right. Well, yeah, because I mean, you sent us a list um, that kind of does yes. it state by state. There are a lot of these school districts in Missouri. Yes, 375. How many? 375 school districts <laughs> are eligible in the priority list. I mean, the other school districts can also apply, but the ones who are ahead in the list to receive the funding are mm -hmm. 375 schools in Missouri. And a lot of those are, I mean, I think you said are rural communities. Yes. Um, I just noticed that my school district is not on there, but I think, uh, well, we're... <laughs> We're pretty close to a larger city. I think we might be a little too affluent, maybe, and and yes. not, we're not affluent because oh my gosh, like we're all just a bunch of hillbillies there. But and I say that as a hillbilly from there. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's good self recognition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to sound like we're Chevy Chase, Maryland, or anything. We're like we're still a pretty poor area. So, you know, and one of the things I also like about uh, this focus on rural schools and rural areas is it's kind of one of the things that our group has worked with the rural electric cooperatives here in Missouri, um, who I don't think is going to be a shock to them or anyone else that we don't see, our groups don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, but one thing we do see eye to eye on is electrification of school buses, of fleets, of EV charging stations. Look, they want to sell more power in rural areas. Um, I think they want to have an opportunity to have uh, more electrification there. We want to see that. Um, you know, we, I think there's a lot of, I think we all see there's a lot of economic incentives to it. Um, so, I mean, so are the, so, I mean, with this money, with the EPA's giving out, is any of it going to utility companies directly or to rural electric cooperatives directly? How not is that? directly, but yes. So the answer okay. to your question is, is yes in this sense. The okay. EPA is designing this program, dividing, as we were saying, into priority schools and no priority schools, but all are welcome to apply. They're just trying mm -hmm. to give a little bit of push, as we say, to rural and low-income student schools, but everybody can apply. It's going to be a lottery and it's going to be a rebate. Oh, and this okay. is very important, James, because you know, some of the programs the EPA has had for technology replacement has been grant programs. And grant programs are good, but they really take a long time. And sometimes they are by reimbursement, meaning schools have to put their money and then get reimbursed. But we know that schools and other entities, public entities, don't have the cash in hand to really just pay for a bus and then wait to be reimbursed. Right, um, right, right. So the EPA, in an effort to really join climate and equity together, is doing a rebate and schools do not have to procure ahead. They're going to win the lottery and they're going to do a procurement of this bus, up to 25 buses per application. And the EPA will pay directly the providers. Okay. And for priority schools, they can pay the full cost of the electric bus. Mm -hmm. And for non-priority schools, it's a percentage. Okay. Um, and not just the cost of the school, but the, of the school bus, but also the infrastructure. So to your question, there's yeah. an incentive here because the EPA will also pay per bus for priority school districts, the charging infrastructure, which is mm -hmm. the charger and the cost associated with the charger, which is like the panel, the conduits, all of that, the EPA will support in their application. So the provider of that 
which could be a utility or a private company, depending on the arrangement, will be reimbursed as well. So it's a really great opportunity to get some of those costs paid by the, the EPA program. Got it. Wow. Uh, when is this going? I mean, is this, when is this going to happen? It is live now. I have the date here. Let me just get okay. my date here because we do. <laughs> yes, it is live right now. Application portal is open. Oh, okay. uh, it's a very simple application that uh, the EPA has in the website that maybe we can link into the description of the podcast if somebody's interested and is in a yeah. school that can do this. It would be great to have that. And they're going to receive applications until um, October or September. Let me see. I'm trying to get my okay. dates here. Same. Give kind me one type. second. I guess. Key dates. Here. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, so you yeah. Can you can start applying by August 19, uh, apply by August 19. So the portal is open now in June and July and August. So by August 19, you should send your application. So we still have like a, two months from now. Uh -huh. uh, the lottery will be done in September. So mm -hmm. they will pick up the, 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 the up from the pool of applications, they will pick up and of course select by priority as we were saying. And the awards will be made in October and the purchasing has to be made by the latest April 2023. Okay. So we have all this time to apply and plan. And one of the things that we are doing, and I'm happy to be in this program and talking to you, James, is that we're really trying to encourage schools and utilities to start talking to each other <laughs> because this is a uh, joint project. Yeah. We were saying utilities need to plan for the load. They are going to love these new customers, of course, new buses, but they need to plan together, right? What type of infrastructure, what type of load, uh, what type of rates are the schools going to yeah. have? And for that, I think it's great to start planning from now, apply for the lottery, get some of the federal money and keep going. Right. So, yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about, you know, from the date that we're recording in this podcast, like, and I, I know Phil doesn't, I know I always say we don't want to timestamp this, but we're talking about two months away that people have to apply for this. So we got to get moving. <laughs> yes, we have to get moving. And I, I will say after we had our conversation, I did talk to some contacts at the uh, Missouri co-ops and they are aware of this now. If, I, I think that probably some of them already were, but they're, I know this is a, this is something they're very excited about. So I hope that they can take advantage of this. Um, so, you know, that's school buses. There is, so, you know, another thing that people talk about when they're talking about electrification of transportation of, of cars is we are, uh, you know, we're a decent sized state. We have a lot of interstates in Missouri. People are worried that even traveling across the state, they, they have, they have the range anxiety as they call it. And, um, yes. What is, what is, uh, what, what, what do we think is going to come from the federal government as far as like being able to maybe resolve that concern? Well, that's where the NEVI program comes in. And okay. the NEVI program, which is the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, is really the $7 billion who is all for public charging stations. Uh -huh. And it's exactly to address that, 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 that barrier, James. We all, I have an electric vehicle and I know it's just, I am always biting my nails if I'm really traveling far and I don't have a charging station in the way, because you know, I mean, you cannot, if you really run out of charge and your battery is flat, then there's, that's it, right? Um, so this, this program is going to invest on those public infrastructure that is needed along highways and corridors and cities in a public way. All of this is public charging, not private charging. Right. Uh, so that's what's very important that cities 
and DOTs, Department of Transportation, all the states and all the actors um, really plan ahead. Where do these stations are most needed, right? Where is that we right. need to, to make sure that, you know, that the range anxiety are, are around cities is more met? And, and of course, it's an interactive process because also we need to ensure that underserviced areas and disadvantaged communities have access to this charging as well. It doesn't have to be just in the most affluent areas of the city, for example. So right. that process is what right now uh, every state should be doing in order to then get the, 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 the part of the funding of this $7 billion that goes to every state. Wow. Um, I have... I'm going to ask a really dumb question, and I guess I probably should know this. Um, these EV charging stations are going to get up. I mean, they're going to have to pay for that, right? Like when you load up, when you charge up, there's going to be, how does that get set? Does that get set by the utility there? Does that get set by the federal government? I mean, I really well, should know this, this is, but how is that going no, to be established? Well, and, and, and the truth is, um, this is, something that is all new. I mean, this is a, like a down payment for mm -hmm. us to have more infrastructure on electric charges. However, we know that every business that wants to come to provide this service, be the utility, be the charger manufacturer, be the mm -hmm. software provider, there's so many components in this supply chain. Uh, there has to be a business case for them, right? This is a down payment that will help uh, that the federal government is yeah. giving us. But of course, this all has to work in this new ecosystem. So I feel like we all are trying to have the demand, meaning people driving electric cars, using this public infrastructure, so that mm -hmm. at the end, this really zeroes out. And in terms of how this is going to work, what rates, what costs, it will all depend in every state and every utility that serves that, that place, mm -hmm. right? Whether or not they're going to charge a fee, for example, a membership fee, like if you pay to the to the charger provider uh, $5 a month, and when you go there, you just pay by so many dollars per kilowatt hour. I mean, though all of that will be arranged state by state. But my, in my point of view, this is going to work if we really think plan ahead and every state should be doing this and thinking how we benefit everybody, right? We need more EV drivers, we need more public stations, that everybody can use and, and the more the better. So the costs right. come down. I mean, it could, I mean, it's possible that, it, I mean, it seems like there could be more variables to how that price is set than we have with gasoline. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. different parts of the country have higher rates than others. I mean, Missouri is historically or, or was, you know, historically a little cheaper with gas. We just passed a gas tax here, raised the gas tax. So it's a little more in line. Than it used to be, but um, I mean, this could be this this could be very different from state to state, could it not? It could. Now, you know, in regards to like we've talked about school buses, we've talked about EV charging networks. I mean, what you know, one thing you alluded to earlier was you know there's some some you know accessibility issues as far as like being able to afford electric vehicles. Is there anything the federal government's doing to help make that easier for people to afford electric vehicles right now? Well, the federal government could do more. Uh, right now, uh, we had a proposal for a tax incentive for uh, electric vehicles, but that was part of the Build Back Better, <laughs> oh. uh, which was another program in addition to the uh, Infrastructure and uh, Investments uh, Job yeah. Act, which was a Biden signature uh, legislative proposal. Uh, we had the Build Back Better, but as you all know, that hasn't been uh, yet approved by uh, Congress. 
And we yeah. know it's even because some Democratic senators are not on our side. So we still do not have a federal incentive, but we do have some uh, local incentives in some states, like California has a, yeah. a state incentive and some utilities also offer rebates for electric. That's vehicles. true. Yeah. No, yeah. Prime Minister Manchin turned Build Back Better into confetti, I believe, is what I say. <laughs> they say we don't, oh. have a parliament, we don't have a parliamentary system, but we kind of do right now. Um, uh, um, yeah, so there are state by state, utility by utility, there are some incentives, but it is exactly. still like, expensive to get a, an EV. Um, yes. but, but when you look at gas prices right now in the United States, maybe not as much as it was. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The economics of both vehicles and fleets actually much better now when you look at the high prices of both diesel and gasoline. Uh, yeah. So you're right, but consumers, we don't make those rational decisions of, oh, okay, I'm paying less now, or I'm paying more now, but I'm going to be less yeah. in the future with my maintenance and operation. That's really Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing to me like, when you look at the overall operation and maintenance of a vehicle over time and what you have to do as far as oil changes and, and, and dealing with the intricacies of a gas combustible engine versus an electric vehicle where you don't have those kind of issues. It was, it was funny, um, the uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was on uh, a Fox show the other day and they said, why didn't you invite Elon Musk to this um, to this meeting about uh, tailpipes and, and, you know, kind of standards for that. And he's like, well, because he runs an electric car company and they don't have tailpipes. <laughs> like, you know, I think they were just want to try to get him because he didn't like Elon Musk or something. But um, yeah, I, you know, it is really like when you look at a long-term thing, it is, it is beneficial. And I, I think, you know, especially here in Missouri, I will tell you one thing I hear people really excited about they're excited about the Ford F-150. Yes. Is, yes. is lightning or thunder? It's one of those two things. Lightning. The Ford lightning. lightning, yes. And we're making those in Missouri. That's excellent. I know I was uh, recently, Holmes, my founder and director, was invited to a webinar where they are launching uh, this product. And I'll tell you what, which is going to be really important that mm -hmm. I mentioned. One of the things that could make electric vehicles affordable is yeah. that communication and integration with the grid and with the building. The battery right. inside those cars can power the vehicle, but also that battery can, in some circumstances, return some of those electrons when they are most needed. So yeah. demand response, resiliency, backup, all that yeah. is something that those batteries of those cars could, could uh, provide. And yeah. that could be important. And Clean Energy Wars has been working on documenting that how much of that service really represents towards the affordability of a vehicle? And I can tell you, we have a small pilot in North Carolina with Roanoke Electric Cooperative and a Nissan Leaf. And what we can say, some of the results will be public soon, not yet public, but we okay. will be published them. But we are learning that some of those um, services, peak shaving, demand response that the electric car can do, can reduce and even offset the least cost monthly of this car because you could pay okay. up to mostly uh, you know a car lease is about $300 a month or something and you could with the service this battery provide in different programs that the utility could have in the month response you could accrue or you can sell but similar amount of um, money with your electricity storage in your car Wow. So I know this is preliminary and pilots and many pilots of V2X as they're called vehicle to grid integration. 
are going around in the country. And we're still kind of figuring out what's the value, what's the cost also, because of course the bidirectional chargers are a bit more expensive and maybe there's a bit more cost in installing those chargers and charging stations. And there's a lot of coordination between the driver when you plug it in and all that. But if all of those things are actually achieved, this is a cost saving measure because you can get that revenue back. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it could just unlock so much potential. Um, exactly. And I, I really hope, and you know, you kind of think a lot about like how, you know, we, we talk, we've we spent a lot of time talking about how the federal government is incentivizing it. We haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about how the states and incentivize it largely because Missouri has not. <laughs> uh, but I wonder, you know, because one of the things that, again, you know, I mentioned that we work with your group on and I work with uh, Dr. Hummelong quite a bit is on this pay as you save thing, which uh, this program, which is which is being implemented by every major investor in utility in Missouri, uh, which is amazing. But I mean, I do know that that has been something that can be used to help with electrification, especially with municipal transportation. Am I am I close yes, on this? What, right, what do we know about that? Yes, it's exactly right. And, and this is what we're trying to to figure out and to support. Uh, a mechanism that has worked on energy efficiency and buildings, upgrading um, those buildings can work also on transportation because we're doing the same. We're upgrading <laughs> the, the transportation vehicle, right? We're changing yeah. from a fossil fuel engine to electric, but it's an upgrade. And the way utilities can contribute uh, is similar, although of course a house is a different than a vehicle, the vehicles move. But in, in a way, uh, the battery and the charging infrastructure are assets to the grid. And mm -hmm. they're like appliances. They just consume the electricity, right? So they can be treated as um, assets, uh, of course, approved by commissions <laughs> and by regulators, where utilities can invest on those and then recover the cost uh, via a tariff. So on-build tariff programs can also apply uh, with transit agencies and school districts as customers. And the savings right. are, are translatable. So when you have uh, electric bus compared to a diesel bus, you have some savings, right? Because you're not paying right. as much for the fuel and for the maintenance. And yeah. with those savings, you can pay back that tariff of the battery and the charging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, so you pay back to your utility. And the benefit is that at the very beginning, it's much cheaper because you only have to pay the differential, right? The utility buys the battery and charging infrastructure, and then you just have to pay or buy the difference. Uh, so it's an affordability mechanism that is consumer protected because we know it will be paid with the savings and it should be regulated by the commissions as it's been for the pay as you say programs uh, right. in for energy efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen these proposals around the country. I'm not really sure how many utilities are doing it. I know that there is a lot of movement in that direction. Um, There's I think one only that has been serious about it. I know there was a lot of movement and my organization yeah. has been knocking doors and doing advocacy, trying to convince more utilities. But so far, um, one already has presented a pilot, which is DTE in yeah. Detroit has presented to the Michigan Public Service Commission uh, a pilot for, uh, it's called um, transit batteries, to procure the batteries and the charging infrastructure of those buses with a utility inclusive investment or mm -hmm. pay as you say for clean transport. Uh, that proposal is going to be approved by November, we hope, and that oh, will be the yeah. precedent 
that a utility, uh, an investor on utility regulated by a commission can do this in inclusive terms. Uh, so once we have an example, I do hope that the other utilities will join um, because this is going to be a win-win. The more transit buses that are electric out there, the better for the utility, more customers. Well, you know? I one of our old contacts at Energy Foundation, Dan Scripps, is still a commissioner at Michigan, so we hope he does the right thing on that. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that would be exciting. Um, yeah, because I mean, I think you know, ultimately, what is interesting to me, or one thing I think about, is you know, car manufacturers really moving towards you know an EV kind of revolution. The utility companies are very interested in this. I, I wonder, you know, from your perspective, I mean, I know this is you're kind of from the energy policy of it, but like the supply chain issues and some of the yes. inventory issues. I mean. Yes. I want to buy an electric vehicle, but I want to test drive one. And I can't really do that right now because they're just not available. You got to order them. Yes. You and think that's going to get better? Yes, it will get better. But I think we have to be prepared for a little bit of a, a period when it won't get better. And then we mm -hmm. hope it will get better. Um, right. This is really acute. If we, uh, if we um, electric vehicles is hard, imagine for buses, which is the sector I work most closely because buses are only made in few quantities. I mean, we have millions of vehicles of cars and SUVs, but we only have a hundred thousands of buses. I mean, it's really a smaller, a, a, a smaller amount of buses. So they're really like tailor-made. Uh, right now we really have a bottleneck. Uh, if we want to ensure that this clean school bus program is implemented and, and all those $5 billion that I mentioned are implemented in five years, uh, we're going to have delays because manufacturers are actually no, they are updating. I think there's a new factory being built in Illinois by Lion Electric in response to this demand. Uh, I'm sure Thomas um, uh, Thomas Buses uh, will also um, up upgrade their, their, their factories to, to produce more and so Bluebird, but we still have a little bottleneck. You're right. I wish we can do text drives. Maybe I will find you. We have an organization that we work with called Plugin America. You are mm. familiar with them and the, and the Drive Electric Week. I've, they produce yeah. these events called Drive Electric Week when they contact manufacturers and bring uh, oh. some of those vehicles so you can test drive them at those events. And they're everywhere in the country. Oh, okay. Yes, I would like to. Yes, I would. Um, <laughs> so you can try. Very, I am, I am very particular. <laughs> But the other thing we could do, which I had to tell you, because here in New Zealand, I have an electric vehicle, but I have huh? a used electric vehicle. And I love huh. this because, in fact, because New Zealand also just in, imports cars. We don't produce any cars here. They're all import, uh, unlike the US. But here we can import secondhand and secondhand cars. And my, I have a Nissan Leaf. It was a secondhand Nissan Leaf. So it was much cheaper, but it's still okay. relatively new. And I think in the US, that secondhand, car market, um, second-hand car market is still is underdeveloped. I mean, it will mm -hmm. grow of course, because of you. Uh, that's one option. And the other option is repowering. And I mentioned this because there is this movement towards having existing vehicles, take out the internal combustion engine and put the battery. And there are companies I've in the US. That. Yeah, this. yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Is that I mean, really is feasible? More, is that it really is feasible? feasible? And there are serious companies like Lighting Motors in the US doing this. I mean, this is not like a little workshop and Mamsa Pops right. workshop. No, these are really good companies trying to do this. And I think it, it has a merit because it's also about sustainability, you know, uh, green economy. Like we, 
why are we producing new things? Why don't we reuse newer technologies? I mean, a, a bus that is 2015 is still a new bus. I mean, it's a diesel bus that we just could repower. I mean, we still mm -hmm. save the money. It doesn't need to be scrapped. It doesn't need to continue to pollute. So there are alternatives for uh, the supply chain problems. Mm -hmm. That's my view. <laughs> it's amazing what, um, what ingenuity can lead us to, isn't it? Exactly. We just have to find solutions to the problems. We all do this because we, of course, believe on climate change mitigation. We want to do our best. And I think we have to be creative. Uh, I know the world is, all, I mean, after the pandemic and the war, I mean, there's going to be supply chain issues for a long time. Yeah, I, I think that's, a, that's an inevitability. Um, so you've been really generous and gracious with your time. I, I did, but when we parted, I, I just want to see to learn more about what you're talking about or what you think people in Missouri, like the public, what, where can they go? What can they research? What should they be looking at to learn more about what you're doing? Oh, well, I have many recommendations. Of course, our website of our organization, cleanenergyworks.org. Yep. Um, we, we can tell you what we do to ensure that everybody can afford clean energy. Uh, for electric buses, I will recommend um, electric school buses for kids, which is an alliance that we have um, of electric school bus organizations, organizations who are advocating for electric school buses, and uh, that's cleanrightforkids.org. I think we have a lot of materials there about if okay. you want to, um, uh, you are a school and are curious about what can I do? Can I buy those buses? Will it make sense for me? I will recommend to go to that website, cleanbusrightforkids.org. Um, that's a good one. Um, the EPA has a great website too now. It's very technical, but I think the EPA mm -hmm. website, I can maybe try to see uh, and mention the website for them. I can look for, because it's a bit technical, but it's the EPA website and it has resources, technical yeah. resources uh, for them. So it's epa.gov slash cleanest school bus. Cleanest or cleaner? Just clean, clean, clean. school bus. Okay, clean, yeah. okay. We will share all that. We send these out on email and we'll, we'll, we'll put those links in there. Um, or at least I'll do my best to remember to do that. Sometimes I say I'm going to do that on these podcasts and I forget what I said. <laughs> Sorry. No everybody. worries. Uh, uh, the other websites, so I mentioned Clean Right for Kids, which is also um, supported by this organization that work very closely with called CHISPA. And CHISPA is an LCB, League of Conservation Voters program, but really concentrates on the school buses. But there is another website, which is electric school buses, electric school buses for kids. And I will give you all these websites because it's hard to remember, but they maybe yes. they will attach to the podcast. But there is a lot of good resources, James, out there right now, because we really want to ensure that people um, well, know about the federal funding programs Mm -hmm. like the clean school bus program and navy programs we want to ensure that the organizations like you who care about energy efficiency and and, and you know energy security and other things right. and, and, and clean environment know about this and leverage our connections and resources to disseminate this information we don't want this program to not disperse all that money we want that money to go to the field yeah great because it could happen <laughs> yeah. amazing uh margarita um, clean, Marpara, uh, clean Energy Works, thank you for being on. Thank You're you for welcome. educating our listeners and thank you for educating us. Philip, anything parting for her? Yeah, just that uh, I'm, I'm doing and will be doing more work in rural electric cooperative organizing. So 
as we're meeting and talking to folks, if we find anyone who, you know, would like to see this, we'll definitely help them get connected with all these great resources. Yeah. Excellent. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, James. Uh, I love talking in public. I hope my accent wasn't too difficult to follow. Oh. And I'm really happy you guys have this podcast. <laughs> I hope my I hope my accent isn't too difficult for people to follow. <laughs> no, your accent is great. Oh yeah, because um, I just got that flat Western Missouri affect that they tell news anchors to use because um, it doesn't sound like any accent. <laughs> like we're such a boring part of the country. <laughs> no, I like I, I like your accent. It's, it's good. It's very Thank clear. I like it. Thank you. Thank yes, I I am uh, I am very vocal and I am very uh, yeah. People people hear me loud and clear. Um, Margarita, thank you um, and thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, uh, please subscribe to us on all major podcasting platforms. Leave a review. Share this on your social media posts so people can hear the good news about electric vehicles and electrification around the country. On behalf of Renew Missouri, I am James Owen. And I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye.